Open our Bibles as you have already to Genesis and ask God's blessing before we read. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you that we have the Bible to lead and guide us, to give us instruction, Lord. And I, I pray that as I approach the Bible and each of us, as we read the Bible, that we wouldn't read into it or read from a preconceived idea or place theologically, but we would just come to your word and take it literally and understand, Lord, that you have a message and you gave to each, uh, through each writer, and in this case, Moses, you, by your Holy Spirit, inspired him and uh, gave him the words you wanted recorded. This is a history of the creation of the world, the origins of the world and man. And so I thank you for Genesis and I pray that you would teach us from it, this uh, text. I pray that we... Um, we're sinners. We know we're sinners. And as we read this text, we identify with this, Lord. But I'm so grateful that we have the origins of sin, that you teach us where it came from. And more importantly, the, the truth about salvation and the grace that you give. And so, Lord, just teach us, instruct us, use this time for your glory in our lives. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. So here we are in this uh, chapter 3. I, I really wanted to break down this first section of chapter 3 because it really is the origin of sin, the origin of sin. We really need to look at this and study it. I, I pulled out some books uh, today, and I, I went deeply into Schaeffer's Systematic Theology. It's a, like it's a, I think it's five, five or six volumes that are like this big. It sits in my library, takes all these books, and it's just this massive collection of it's theology. And then I, I didn't stop there. I went to Geisler's systematic theology, and I dug deeply into his, and I read about sin, and I read the different viewpoints from different people. And again, I come back to this point to where the scriptures are true, and, and my approach is exegesis. Exegesis means that we take our points and meaning right from the text of scripture. Isogesis means that we read into it. In other words, I have an opinion, I have a view, and so I read into the scriptures what I, my predetermined position is. And the two major positions, you probably know, uh, Arminianism and Calvinism. But though, though you, if you're not a Calvinist, that doesn't mean you're an Arminius and vice versa. I believe that you and I as Christians are biblical and we need to remain there and let people write about their favorite topics or their positional truth, but let's remain in, in the scriptures, and let's just be biblical Christians and receive what the word says gladly. That's what the Bereans did. That's what I want to be. That's what I expect you to be. In fact, there's a, there's a little bit of a, a teaser for what I'm going to talk about to the men on Saturday night, <laughs> to be a Berean, to dig into the word and to be a true man of God, studying God's word. So that's the approach that I take. And again, the, the topic or my title, sin, whose fault is it? Now, I've said this before, but the study of Genesis is the study of origins. God gives us the origins of the world, chapter 1, where, where he started. And, and I love the way the origins theme that's in the first three chapters is in kind of two different lights. One is, is God's showing us his created, creative fiat, his power, but it's also done on days. And we're going to see that again tonight as we look at Genesis chapter 3 because sin, the sin of man happened not over a long period of time, but it happened in a day. It happened very quickly. And it happened, I think, early in the morning because the scriptures will read in the cool of the day, later on in the day. When Adam walked with God, that's when things started to happen. That's when realization, that's when feeling Feeling, keep that word in mind. Feeling came in, in place here in the heart of, of Adam and Eve. So origins is what we are learning that in chapter one that God created the heavens and the earth as we know them, the original creation, in those six literal days. And he did that to, the perfection, to, to perfect maturity, to completion. In other words, there was no need for evolution. There was no need for extra days, for extra time, for billions of years because God created Plants and animals and humans mature, complete. And he said at the end of chapter 1, remember he said, and everything was very good. Everything was complete. Everything was mature. There was no need for 
billions of years for natural selection, for chance, random chance. I mean, you understand what I'm saying. That's what the scriptures teach. Now, that might collide with your worldview, Christian. It collides with the worldview out there. But as a biblical Christian, you should say, okay, this is God's history. This is God's word. And I'm going to receive God's word gladly and, and let the Holy Spirit teach you and show you the truth of God's word. And the Bible teaches, again, man was complete. He was mature. He was, he didn't, God didn't create a baby and then let him grow up to be Adam. God created a mature man. And then he creates from Adam's side a mature woman, complete. There was no need for more growth, more change. Psychologically, no. Physically, no. God made what he made. It was complete or perfect in those six days. Animal life, the universe, and then finally on the sixth day, man. So that's the true message of Genesis. That's this historical account that Moses is writing for us here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Um, here's the truth, though. As God created in six days everything that we experience, everything that we see, he also created man at the end of that sixth day. And at the, this day, we're not sure how many days there were between the creation of Adam and Eve and then this day, Genesis chapter 3, the day that man fell. It was a day that man fell by his act of willful disobedience to God. It happened in one day. He fell from innocence. He fell from fellowship. He fell into depravity. Depravity, we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. But it's critical to understand this idea of origins and that God's working in these periods, these short period of time that we consider a day, that we know is a day, morning and evening, as it says again and again in Genesis chapter 1. And so that's what's described here in, in this section, in this, this particular chapter. It's all about the sin of man. And so the question, what happened? What happened on that day? How did sin come into the world? That's what this chapter is about. Look at with me at verse 1 again. Let's just get a running start to our verses. Verse 1, chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? Did, did God really say that? And the woman said to the serpent, well, he said, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, nor touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, yeah, no, wait, 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 you misunderstood. God didn't really say that. You're not really going to die. Do you see that in the text there? Now, we've already studied those verses, and, and uh, we looked at the serpent real quickly, the serpent. The word nekesh in the Hebrew, nekesh is the, the sound of a, a reptile in Hebrew, nekesh. So we have this reptile here. That's Satan, the angel that fell because he rebelled against God. You can read about it in uh, several Old Testament books. I gave the text last week, but his, it was his rebellion. He fell from heaven. He's known as Lucifer or the devil. Jesus described him as a liar and a murderer. He's God's enemy. He's man's enemy. So the devil comes to Eve with this strategy of deception. She plants in Eve's mind this temptation. She said, oh, God didn't really mean that. I mean, come on. That, it couldn't be that bad, could it? And that's what Satan is doing. He's deceiving Eve. He lies about God. And he says to Eve that uh, God wouldn't withhold something that's so wonderful from you. God would, he wants you to have everything, and this is part of it. You need to eat this. This is everything. Again, his strategy, he tells her she can't really trust God's word. That's where he makes his assault. And then verse 5, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So after Eve was deceived by Satan, here we come to verse 6. My next point here, she saw, she lusted, and she ate it. So when the women saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, so she's now 
been deceived, and now she's lusting. This is very common for Satan to tempt, to tempt you, to, to break down your, your um, inhibitions, to take away any of your assumptions and, and morality and say, oh, it's not that bad. And, and then you look at it from, well, maybe if I looked at it from this angle, it would look a little bit better. Maybe if I looked at it from, oh, it, you know, it really does look good. I, I think it's harmless. That's what happens to us in sin, doesn't it? We're tempted and that's what Satan did. He tempts and deceives. He lies, and then pretty soon it's, oh, it, it, it does look good. It, it, it looks fine. So she took it, it says there, and she ate. She also gave it to her husband, and he ate. Now, when I was growing up, I just remember riding my bike, and I, I was right up here on Orange Knoll. It's right up next to Arden Avenue. And I had this cool, cool bike. It had a banana seat and sissy bars. It was, it was the coolest bike. And I was riding from a friend's house that lived up there, riding home. And I was, I was riding really fast. I came around a corner. I made a jump over a curb. And I ate it. Remember what that means? I mean, we, that means you crashed. That's what she did here. She totally crashes here in verse 6. But her crash was deliberate. Her crash was by her own volition. She did it by her own willful, deliberate disobedience to God's law, to God's command. Remember, God commanded and said, don't eat of that tree. And she deliberately ate it, really, is what, what we're seeing here. And I think this is really an important point to make for you as believers. This is important for you and I to understand. If we're going to understand the rest of the Bible, in my opinion, you need to understand Genesis. Very, very important book for you to comprehend, for you to think about. And this is God helping us to understand the origins of everything, including sin. But Eve sinned by her own choice. Yes, she was deceived, but she sinned by her own choice. The devil can't make you sin. Remember, we talked about that last week. He has no power to make you sin. He can tempt you. He can make it look good. He can deceive you. But he has no power to twist your arm to make you do it. And you are culpable for your sin. You're accountable. There's judgment because of your choices and sin. And that's really what's happening. She crashes here. But it's not Satan. It's not the devil that made her do it. She had her own volition. She had made her own choice here. She sinned. Satan tricked her. He lied. God didn't really say that. Wait, wait, wait. Let me, let me rephrase this to you. God didn't mean that when he said that. That's how Satan always comes, by the way. He always assaults the word of God. At the end of verse 6, Adam appears here. And I, I don't believe that he was there originally with her. I believe that she was alone, which is kind of an interesting thought when you think about husband and wife and headship and marriage and how the man is to protect, and biblically, man is to protect, and she was out on her own. She shouldn't have been out on her own. Adam should have been there protecting. Why wasn't Adam protecting her? Why didn't Adam hang out with her? I don't know. I, I, don't, under, I don't know why, but he, she was by herself, and while she was alone, Satan comes to her, and he tempts her, and he gets to her, and then she willfully, deliberately sins against God's command. So Adam shows up here at the end of verse 6. Now, I'm, I'm going to, this is where I'm going to do a little isogesis, okay? I'm imagining for just a moment the conversation that they had. They must have had a conversation, right? It's not recorded here by Moses because we're getting where sin came from. But just imagine the conversation. Adam shows up. And, and Eve goes up to Adam and says, Adam, I met this amazing reptile today. He, he was amazing. And, and he said that, that the, the fruit was juicy and it was good to eat. Or, or maybe she said to Adam, 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 God, God said that when you eat it, you'll die. But I ate it and I'm alive. It's okay to eat. You can eat it too. I mean, think, I, we don't know what she said, but the, I'm just thinking there had to be some kind of conversation. The question, the real question here is, why did Adam eat the fruit? He was the one that God told, do not eat, and Adam ate it. And so we surmise here, again, we surmise, we don't know because the text doesn't tell us, but I think that Adam didn't want to give up Eve. I think he was in love with Eve. He loved Eve more than God, which is very interesting. We can... Love things more than God. It's called idolatry. And God says, don't do it. Love me more than anything. 
And I, I believe that he didn't want to lose her. He knew he'd lose her. But their decision, they made decisions. They each made a choice. Eve made the first choice. Adam made a choice following Eve. And they both together ate. They both exercised free will. It's called self-determination. You can look that up. And theologically, it's very interesting that we use the term volition. I just say choice because it's easier to talk about. But I believe that man has free will. And remember last week we were talking about the angels. How did, how did evil come into the world to begin with? Well, we have to go back to the angels. when We weren't told when they were created. But I believe the angels were created in one day, at one moment, because they can't procreate. God made them for their power. And then... And then they were made with the same um, intelligence that you and I have. They had the same reason. They take the intelligent. I mean, angels are intelligent, right? You, you read through the scriptures, they have intelligence. God gave them intelligence. And then they have reason because you take the intelligence and you use it to reason, right? And then that leads to the third thing that angels and man both have, and that's choice or volition. And so Satan had intelligence he had reason. Remember, he reasoned wrong, and then he had choice. I'll, I'll be like God. I'm, gonna, I'm just like God. I'm beautiful. I'm, I'm more beautiful than any other angel. I have more power than a lot of them. I have it together. I'm the man, and I'm going to take... I can do this, God. I can do your job. I, and when he did that, that's when he fell. God kicked him out of heaven. In the same way with man, man is made with intelligence, reason, and choice, volition. I don't believe God takes that volition away. I believe that you and I have that volition. Now, here's where the real debate in Calvinism and Arminianism comes in because Calvinists believe that you don't have volition. They, when you talk volition or free will to Calvinists, you get a totally different argument. I'm not here to argue with Calvinists. They're my brothers in Christ. We love each other, and we should have good-spirited but, but loving conversation about theological issues. Uh, so I, I'm not going to argue with one. There have been those that come through, and we have our little thing, and I say, look, you know, this is just who I am. I'm being honest with you. So, so don't be deceptive, and don't tell me that I, just because I didn't go to seminary, I didn't go to seminary. Just because I didn't go to seminary doesn't mean I didn't know. I mean, I, I talk to pastors all the time. I didn't go to seminary. Some of them, you know, mock seminary. I, I'd love to have more education. I, would you guys give me a whole year so I can go to school? Pay me so I can go to school. Would you do that? You're going, heck No. You stay here and teach the Bible. Well, that's part of the thing. And, and I believe that God gives men, it says in the scriptures, which one of the disciples went to seminary? And they were a big piece of the Bible that we all follow. So it's really a work of the Holy Spirit. But, and, and I believe that seminary education is good. If you have an opportunity, please, please do it. It's good. But I also believe that in the books that I'm able to read, in the experience God's given me and the Bible teaching that I've sat under for many, 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 many years, great Bible teaching, which many of you can attest, that I've had this ability to learn and grow. And so it's not a matter of that because I've got these books and I read these books today. I, I, I didn't read them all. I mean, we're talking major volumes, but it was wonderful to have time to study and to look at those things. But I believe that man has Volition, free will, choice. He was made that way. And what happened at the fall was, if you really think a little bit, think, think this way with me. This is, this is an interesting thought. Heaven, the, the earth was made and created perfectly. There was no sin, right, in the world? But Satan was in the world. So there was evil in the world somewhere, right? Nikish. He was here. I mean, think about that. You could, go, you could spin and go crazy on that one. But, but here's, here's the point. He came into the world, Satan. Evil came through Satan. Eve was tempted, and then she fell. Adam fell from this perfectly, uh, perfect state that God had created them in. And they, they both fell. They exercised their free will. So this is where man's choice for evil could have been avoided. But it wasn't because they chose. They exercised their self-determination here. Here's my next point. Together they ate and were ashamed. Notice what happens. Verse 7. Then their eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Their eyes were open to see their shame. They hadn't seen shame. And shame, think about shame. Shame is a feeling. 
You ever felt shame? You ever felt guilt? You feel it. You might tell somebody, well, you're guilty, and they go, I'm not guilty. But if you really did take the cookies, when mom said, are you eating cookies with all the crumbs on your face? Did you eat cookies out of the cookie? No, mom, I didn't. There's cookies all over your lips. Milk. Did you eat those things? No, I didn't. But you have guilt. You feel it. And I believe when they sinned, they felt, they felt it. And they knew it. Their eyes were open, it says, and they knew they were naked. And so they responded to this feeling of guilt and shame, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering their nakedness. Their nakedness was once shared, and there was no guilt. There was no shame. The, the Bible says, when we read it, they were naked and unashamed. They, they were just these two people, and they had this great love relationship, but now everything changed. When sin came, when they made that choice, everything changed in their lives, and now they have this new feeling inside. It's their disobedience. They look at each other. They're naked. They're embarrassed for the first time. So what do they do? They try to cover themselves. When you sin, and, and every one of us in here has and will, when you sin, the first thing you want to do is cover it, right? You, you want to explain it away. It wasn't me. It was him. It was her. We'll see that, the blame shifting. We'll see that in a minute. We, we always try to cover, and that's what is being shown to us here, that as soon as they sinned, they felt guilty, and then they tried to cover themselves. They sew some fig leaves together to hide their shame. Fig leaves. Do you know what a fig leaf? Have you ever looked at a fig leaf? They're really hairy on the backside. Have you ever, I mean, really, have you touched those things? Can you imagine having one of those things against your skin? I just, I'm just saying. Not only could they not face each other without shame, but now they can't face God. They're afraid of God. For the first time, they, they weren't afraid of God. They had this great relationship with God. They've never experienced fear before. They didn't experience shame before. And so they, they, they're, they're trying to take care of something. Again, think about a day. This is a day. Everything's in, a, in the context of a day if you, when you read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So this is a day. It's, it's in the morning sometime. Serpent beguiles, tempts Eve, takes the bait, she falls. Adam eats it, and now they're busy, busy, busy because something's going to happen later on in the day. And they sew fig leaves together because they know guilt, they know shame, they know all of those things that they've never known before. Their disobedience brought all these new feelings. So it's this chapter where sin really, it teaches us where it came from. It came from their choice to disobey God. That's where sin entered into the world. That's what's being taught us here. But I, here's my next point. I talked to you about this last week, and I need to make this point again. If you weren't here, or just for you to hear it again, sin did not come from God. God cannot sin. He cannot be tempted by sin. He is only truth and only good. That's what the Bible teaches. He did not originate evil. Evil happened in Satan. Satan came into the world, tempted Eve, and Eve fell. That, and it, as soon as she chose, to sin, that's when sin entered, entered into the world. But it did not sin, did not come from God. God's not responsible for sin. His creatures are. There is no sin in God. God cannot be tempted to sin. The source of sin is outside God. And again, everything that God made, as I've said in Genesis 1, at the end of Genesis 1, you can look there if you want to, I think it's verse 31, everything was very good, complete, without sin. But because of their willful disobedience, sin came in. And, and I mean, think about this. I, I thought about different illustrations. How do you illustrate the, this sin coming into the world? I was thinking of a, a huge dam like Hoover Dam. I had this image in my mind. And that dam is holding back evil. And, and Adam and Eve go to the bottom of the dam and they take one rock out of the bottom of the dam and now the dam's unstable and pretty soon this flood of sin comes into the world. That's the way it's portrayed here. They, it, they open the floodgates of sin that came bursting into our world. So how did sin come into existence? I I said this quote, I don't think I gave it to you, but look at this quote behind me. 
Sin comes into existence when God's creatures choose to act based upon intellect and selfish reason. They were given intellect, reason, and then they chose. That's, that's really, I, I like that statement there. Sin did not come from God. The one who chose sin was the source of sin. That's what the scripture is teaching us. Satan, the devil, and our parents, Adam and Eve, willfully chose to disobey God. And when did it happen? Well, again, the angels, and we're not sure, but it, it, God created them, and he gave them all those things, and they chose. And then they, Satan comes into the world, and again, tempts. But the bottom line, whether angels or men, they all had choice, they all had volition, and they chose to disobey God. So to disobey God means to initiate sin. So again, didn't come from God. I, I really want you to understand that. God's not responsible for sin. That's why at the end of verse 7, it says here, they, were, they had guilt, they had fear, they sewed leaves together, they wanted to cover their sin, cover themselves. And I'll bet you that they had their first argument at that point in time. Uh, everything started right then. This, this, again, this floodgate of sin was open, and now there's dissension. Now there's contention between the two of them. Sin. I, that's why I titled this, Whose Fault Is It? Whose Fault Is Sin? Now let's read. This is the text that I want to exposit tonight. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden, verse 8, in the cool of the day. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called Adam and said to him, where are you? And Adam said, I, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? Now, think about the question God's asking. Is God omnipotent or not? Is God omniscient, all-knowing, or not? He is. He knows exactly what's going on here. He's already seen it occur, but he's giving them opportunity, right? I love this about God. Here's, this is grace. God's showing his grace already. He's showing grace to a sinner. And he said, who told you, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you that you should not eat? Verse 12, then the man said, the woman, the woman. It was the woman you gave me. She gave me of the tree and I ate. So the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent. It's the serpent. He deceived me and I ate. Now, Moses tells us here that they were afraid and that's why they hid themselves. My next point, they hid themselves from God. Verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The reason they hid themselves is because they're afraid of God. They're afraid of what he's going to do because God told them you're going to die. So they're hiding because they think they're going to die now. They believed Satan. She didn't die when she ate the fruit, but now they're hiding from God. They're, they're worried about that. They're fearful of God. And the fear that they've never felt before. They've never had that before. They've always had a great relationship with God, totally open and honest. Naive, you could call it. It was a perfect relationship between God and man. But they've now disobeyed God's law. And this is the interesting thing. God's created everything. Remember, when God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, he made trees. Remember it said that he made trees. I made a big deal about trees and palm trees and how ugly they are and how sequoia trees and redwood trees are so beautiful. Remember, we talked about trees and how God made trees. And some trees were made and, and for them to eat off of these trees. All the fruit trees you can imagine were all there in the garden. And God placed man so gently and carefully right in the garden in his care with all these trees. But now they're hiding in the trees. Interesting. They're hiding themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And God here... I love the way it said, God is giving man this choice, this moral choice. Look at with me at chapter 2. Go back to chapter 2, verse 15. Notice what it says. Then the Lord God took man, Genesis 2, 15, and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded, here it is, here's the law, 
of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. And, and Adam, Adam has the ability to resist moral evil. He, he can say no. He can, I, I'm not going to do that. He can resist it. And again, this teaches that sin is a choice of man. And last week we talked about man's heart. It's totally corrupt. It's depraved. I believe in the depravity of man. I just don't believe that man is so depraved that he cannot choose. Uh, that's my position. And I, I, I've argued that point. I've talked about that point. Uh, we've broken fellowship with, with men that I love over that point. Um, I just believe because the Bible says that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That the Bible says that to as many as received me, to them he gives the right to become the children of God, even those that call upon his name. So again, we can look at many scriptures on both sides, but I believe that you have a choice, that man has a choice. And Adam could have chosen not to eat. He could have chosen not to eat. Interesting, think about it. When Jesus was on this earth, he never sinned. But Satan came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. After 40 days of fasting, Satan came to Jesus and remember what he did. Turn this stone into bread. It was a temptation. Did Jesus succumb to his temptation? No. I really believe that test, that test is to show us and teach us something in Matthew the test here that we're seeing, the failure of it, is to teach us something again. Here's the verse, Matthew 4, 1. I, I guess I do have it for the screen. Jesus was led up to the spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You can read that text there, really interesting. So again, the point is that Adam and Eve chose. They chose to sin. And when they sinned, they were afraid and they hid. And Moses tells us, here's my next point. They hear God walking. This is very interesting. Hearing God walking. Think about that. They heard God walking in the garden. Now, as far as I know, God doesn't have a body, right? He's a spirit. No one's ever seen God. So how can, he, how can you hear God walking in the garden? What's going on here? This is what's known as a Christophany or a Theophany in the Bible. It's an Old Testament or New Testament in my opinion, this is a pre-incarnate Christ. This is Jesus, the same one that sat on a log with Adam when he was naming animals. This is Jesus, the, the all existing. The Bible teaches that Jesus has always existed. He wasn't just born a baby and became. The Bible teaches that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always existed, always. And so who was walking in the garden, crunching on leaves? It was Jesus. That's my opinion. And I, I, I believe there's a lot to substantiate that as well. You see theophanies in the Bible all over the place. You'll find in Genesis 17 and 18 that God appears to Abraham. We'll see that in a month or so. Genesis 28, 32, and 35. The Lord appears at different times to Jacob, talks to him. And so there's these occurrences where God takes on the form of man in this case, Jesus, and they, he walks with. That's what they heard, these crunching leaves. Again, look at verse 19 of chapter 2. Out of the ground the Lord God formed beast of every, uh, out of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam gave each living creature, that was his name. And so I believe that that's, in my mind, that's God is, is parading these animals before his creation, Adam. And and I see fellowship there. I see Jesus with Adam there. And they're just hanging out and they're just enjoying the creation. They had time together, Adam and God. So Adam, he looked forward to walking with God. They walked with God every day in the cool of the evening. The cool of the day, kind of a, a special time. I, I believe it's just before twilight, you know, it's the cool of the day when the sun on our planet kind of goes to a place we look up at the sky and we see a sunset but there's a change in the wind normally as a hang glider pilot I can attest to that the best flying time for me is from 5 to 7 
At seven at night, everything changes. We call it catabatic. We get the wind that changes direction right at, right at the evening time. It's the cool of the day. It's a different feeling outside. So this time, the cool of the day, was a time when Adam would walk with God in the garden. It was a time that they cherished, a time they looked forward to. Adam, Adam's losing all of that. He's now hiding. God used to walk with him, but now they, Adam has fallen. And look again at verse 8, chapter 3, the end of verse 8. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. In other words, Adam's sin. He, he couldn't even walk with God anymore. He was uncomfortable. He, he felt guilt. He felt shame. And so he ran from God. He hid from God. Now, here's the application real quick. Let's just stop for a moment. Think about this. Have you ever tried to hide from God? <laughs> There's not one of us in this room that wouldn't raise their hand. If I asked you to, don't, don't raise your hand. Every one of us have tried to hide from God. You know, I, I get into my sin and I stop praying. I'm just not going to pray. Have you ever been there? I'm just not going to talk to God anymore because it'll reveal my sin to him. <laughs> I've done that. I'm just saying. <laughs> or because of your deliberate choice, you're just uncomfortable being close to God. You, when you open the Bible, you're, you, God just shows you your sin on every page. Your prayer life is just goes in the toilet. I mean, seriously, it, it's, it's, you're, you're just in a different place. And so you ignore God, hoping that he'll just leave you alone. I, I think we've all been in that place. Do you realize how stupid that is? That's so foolish. Let me show you some scriptures here. You can't hide from God. My next point, look at these scriptures. Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. God sees it all. He sees everything. He sees your evil and he sees your good. Hebrews 4, 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom we must give account. <gasps> You're culpable. You're culpable for everything you do. God sees everything that you do. And I love what David says in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Look at that question. Think about this. David says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. You're always with me. God is always there. He always sees. He sees everything that you do. So stop trying to hide it, Christian. Stop it. I, I just pray that this could be a great time for you, a great evening for you to say, you know what, I'm going to stop hiding my sin. I'm going to confess my sin. I, I want to be right with the Lord. The point here is that you can't hide from God. Notice who goes looking for who in this text. Who's looking for who? It's God. God is looking for Adam. And God knows that he sinned. And again, like I said earlier, this is the greatest expression of the grace of God. This is the heart of God. He's always coming and finding the sinner. He's always reaching out to the hurting, reaching out to the sinful. Isn't that great? God doesn't reject you when you sin. He reaches out to you. And he went to Adam. He's looking for Adam. Now, think about this. Moses records that God came walking and Adam heard God walking. Adam didn't hear God saying, where are you? I mean, think about it. There wasn't thunder. There wasn't light. It was God gently walking. And that's how God comes to you as a sinner. God doesn't come to slap you, smite you, lightning bolt you, kill you, wipe you. God never does that. And that's what I love about this wonderfully written and, and uh, uh, this history that we're reading. I love this. Because it really reveals the heart of God. There's no immediate bolt of lightning coming out of heaven to burn him, to scorch him. Instead, here's my point, God called out to them. Verse 9, then the Lord God called to Adam and he said, where are you? I just see gentleness there. He didn't scream at him. He just says, where are you, Adam? Where are you? And he's not interrogating like a, a judge or a police officer. 
Where have you been? You know, what's going on? But it's really like a father that goes to a child. Remember when your kids were little? Again, five children. I just remember each one of them at different places in their lives where you have to go find them. They've sinned. We saw them. They, you know, they always think you have eyes in the back of your head, but you saw what they did. You knew what they were. You saw them plan it. You saw them do it. You know they did it. As a parent, it's like, and, and by the way, Eric and Yvonne are going to have a baby. We're excited about this new baby. And so Eric's going to learn. Eric's going to learn this. <laughs> it's, it's a good thing to be a parent. But boy, does it expose things in your life, doesn't it? And like a, like a father that, or a mother that just loves their child and they, they so want them to repent, you know, God comes and, where, are, where have you been? What, what's going on? Where, where are you? God knows the whole thing. He knows the whole truth. But in asking Adam to step forward, I believe God is showing grace. He's giving Adam an opportunity to say, God, I blew it. I, I did the wrong thing. I was... I, I've been bad, you know, like, your, remember your kids? When, you, when they finally break, it's a beautiful thing. And parent, can I just take a moment and just veer off from my notes as a parent? Your job is really not to beat your kids or discipline them till they say, I'm sorry. Your, your job is to help them and understand they're culpable to God so that they really do have a heart of repentance. I remember teaching our kids that you need to go, you broke our law, but you offended your mom. You need to go to your mom. I don't want to go to mom. I don't want to go do that. You know, no, here, let's go. Grab by the hand and I take him. You need to tell mom, I'm sorry. Or she would bring him to me. You need to repent. And in doing that, we're teaching our kids to repent. So that later when they're older, they learn how they have to go to the Lord and repent. They have to go to God. And that's where we'd send them as they get older. You know, you broke God's law. You need to go to God and you need to repent. That's what God is really looking for here, but he doesn't get it. Adam, he's shameful. He's experiencing these feelings he's never had, shame and fear. And God comes to him. And I believe that God is, again, giving Adam an opportunity. He says, where are you? Where are you spiritually? Where, where are you at right now? What, what's going on, Adam? Adam, what's, what's really going on here? That's what I hear in that question there. And God is saying, Adam, you blew it. You disobeyed me. By the way, look at those silly, itchy leaves. Do they really feel good? I mean, <laughs> Adam, you can't hide from me. Where are you? What are you doing? And that's when Adam begins the blame shift game. And here's kind of the end of this study. I've got a couple pages here, but Adam shifts the blame. And we all know this was going to happen, but so he said, verse 10, I heard your voice in the garden. Now, first he heard him walking, and then he heard him, what was God saying? Where are you? Adam, what's going on? Adam, where are you? I heard your voice in the garden. God's calling out to Adam, and he says, I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Who told you that you were naked? He's asking him a question to help him understand what's going on here. Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? God doesn't say, whose fault is it? God just said, what did you do? Did you eat of the tree I commanded you? And then, and very interesting, verse 12, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the tree and I ate. In other words, it's not my fault, God. It's hers. How many men have done that before? I'll, I'll admit it, I've done that before. It's lame, it's dumb, it's foolish. But that's what he did. He blames her. He shifts the blame. It's like, I just couldn't help myself. She did it, though. She was the one that initiated this. And then notice this. Eve claims she's a victim, verse 13, my next point. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. In other words, I'm a victim. I'm just a victim of this. The devil made me do it. She was blame shifting just as well. And can I just say, Christians, you know this is true. It's manipulative. But blame shifting is always a bad plan. As a mature Christian, mature meaning I read the word of God, I pray, I have a relationship with God in Christ. It's always a bad plan to shift the blame and point at other people rather than yourself. 
It's always bad. It's better to confess your sin to the Lord. Just say, God, I did it, and forgive me, God. That's that's the best way to to do it. It's, It's like a student. They fail in a class, and they say, it's my teacher's fault. The the work was too hard. Or a married man who has an affair, and he tells his wife, well, if if you'd been a better wife, I wouldn't have done that. Really? I mean, I've heard those kinds of things. In other words, it's not my fault. It's yours. It's theirs. It's anyone's fault but mine. Listen to this poem I came across today. I went to my psychiatrist to be psychoanalyzed to find out why I killed the cat and blackened my husband's eyes. He laid me on a downy couch to see what he could find, and here is what he dredged up from my subconscious mind. When I was one, my mommy hid my dolly in a trunk, and so it follows naturally that I was always drunk. When I was two, I saw my father kiss the maid one day, and that is why I suffer now from kleptomania. At three, I had the feeling of ambivalence toward my brothers, And so it follows naturally that I poisoned all my lovers. But I am happy now. I've learned the lesson that has taught that everything I do that's wrong is someone else's fault. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that how we are? We blame shift. Blame shifting didn't work for Adam. It won't work for you or me. It'll never work for us. The problem is sin. Whose fault is it? It's my fault. It's your fault. We're sinners. I read Romans 7, by the way, again today. For those Bible students in here, you know what Romans 7 is all about. Paul is the greatest apostle, wouldn't you agree? The greatest gospel writer, the greatest gospel presenter. He risked his life year after year up into his old ages, and he went into every synagogue, challenged the Jews, and preached the gospel fearlessly. And in Romans 7, he says, the things that I do are sin and I shouldn't do them. And the things that that I really should do, I, I never do. I'm such a wretched man. Remember he said that? We, we have sin in us. It's, it's in our flesh. In my flesh, Paul says, all sin dwells. To realize you're a sinner, to realize it's my fault is the beginning of repentance. It's the beginning of a new life. It's the beginning of forgiveness. And that's what God offers us in Christ. I I love that truth. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Sin has damaged every one of us. We all have fallen. We have fallen natures. We struggle every day. And I believe Adam and Eve felt this sense of fear and shame, and that's why they hid themselves. That's why they covered themselves, and they blamed other people, each other, and Satan. But that's when God comes to us, when we're at our lowest, when we realize that we're sinners. He comes to us, and he says, where are you at? Where, where are you? Do you know that I've provided for your salvation? Do you know I provided everything that you need? See, without sin, we wouldn't know how great salvation is, but with the backdrop of sin, the the bleakness, the darkness of sin, the glory of God shines bright because Jesus, Jesus becomes our Savior. And Jesus comes, Jesus demonstrated his love, the Bible says. Notice Romans 5.8, I have it up here on the screen. God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners... God doesn't look at the sinner and say, naughty, naughty, you clean up your act before you come to church. And so Christians, we should never say that. We should bring sinners to church. It's hard sometimes. We've had different people in in church, and after a couple of weeks, they'll leave. They'll leave because they'll feel the conviction of the Lord. They'll either repent or they'll leave. But your job is to bring them to hear the gospel. Your job is to take them to a harvest crusade or get them to a Bible-believing church where they can hear the gospel. And then they, by volition, by self-determination, by choice, will find out if they're chosen. We'll find out if they're elected. And we'll know that they're elected if they receive Christ. They were elected. That's how you know. That's how you figure it out. And so I say to everyone, choose Jesus, and you'll find out that you were elected. <laughs> Come to Christ. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Sin came to us because Adam and Eve ate the fruit. 
Salvation comes. When we eat the fruit of another tree, it was the tree on Calvary. It was the tree where Jesus went to die. He hung his body willingly there on Mount Calvary. I, I love to read different authors. Pink is a very strong Calvinist. I, I love to read Pink. A.W. Pink said this. The first tree was planted by God. The second tree was planted by man. God forbade man to eat the first tree, but man was freely invited to eat the fruit of the second tree. Isn't that beautiful? The eating of the first tree brought sin, but eating the second tree brings life and salvation. Adam, by eating the first tree, was turned out of paradise, while the repentant thief, by eating of the second tree, entered paradise. Oh, Christian, we have a glorious truth that God's forgiven us. If you don't know Jesus Christ tonight, you can know him. Scripture makes it very clear, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, what? Believes in him. Shall not perish, but have what? Oh, that the world would hear that message. Let's keep preaching at church. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to teach us from your word. Lord, I pray that my silly illustrations wouldn't cloud up the truth of where sin came from. I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would teach us the word and that we as Christians, Lord, would receive it gladly. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to repent. And, and right now, Lord, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and Lord, I, I just want to take a moment, just a moment of quiet prayer, individual prayer, where we just sit here and just confess our sin to you. Lord, I, I just want to take a moment now. So wherever you're seated, just take a moment to confess your sin to the Lord. Father, I thank you for the forgiveness that you offer. And by faith we receive, Lord, that forgiveness. As we confess our sin, we know and believe that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How grateful we are. So tonight, Lord, we just lay ourselves on, on, on the altar we just give our lives wholly and completely to you. Use us for your glory, Lord, and, and uh, teach us from your word. May we share that glory with others. May we live for you. In Jesus we pray. Amen.